So let me ask you a question to kick off this morning. Whenever you've finished a task, whether it's part of your job, you know, and you finally handed it in, or whether it's at home, you've, you've finished a task, and um, that's done now, or in the garden yesterday, I'm guessing some of you were in the garden yesterday, were you? How many of you were sitting in the garden? How many of you were working in the garden? Yes. So this morning, when you woke up and you looked at your garden, what did it make you feel? <laughs> it made me feel a pain in my back, to be honest, but apart from that. So when you finish a task, what do you love doing? What, what do you do when you finish a task? Just have a, have a word with somebody near you. Tell them what's your favorite thing to do when you've finished a task. Okay, let's have a... Any suggestions? Uh, what, what did somebody else tell you that they enjoy doing? Nothing? What did I just say? I said, tell me something that somebody just told you that they love doing when they finish their task. Putting the kettle on. Yeah, okay. Looking at it afterwards with pride. Yes, hopefully, if it's, you've done a good job. Anything else? That's it. Okay. No, nobody put their feet up. Nobody uh, decide to, that they deserve a nice coffee and a, and a piece of cake. Yeah. yeah? Of course. Well, you put the kettle on. Of course you do. Of course you do. Yeah. Maybe you, you're just very proud of yourself, as Stephen said. You know, you look at it and you're very proud of yourself. Put your feet up and think, that's it now. That's the last task I'm going to do until the next one. Of course it is. But of course, God's call to Nehemiah, which is uh, the story we've been working through over these last few weeks, was not to rebuild a wall. I hope by now that you, you understand that the task that God gave to Nehemiah was not to rebuild a wall. The task God gave to Nehemiah was to restore the hearts of the people. The task God gave to Nehemiah was to turn the rubble of people who had given up hope into a group of people who would experience revival and see God's kingdom come. That was his task. So although the wall had been completed, and that's where we got to last week, the wall was completed in 52 days, a remarkable feat of achievement of this exiled group, this disparate group, and Nehemiah had, had gathered together to do this despite opposition from outside and, and opposition from inside the camp as well. The wall was completed. So, you know, put the kettle on Nehemiah, for goodness sake. You know, go and read a book or something. Go and, go and, and just look at it. Go around the wall and be very proud about it. And despite distractions and disappointments along the way and diversions that they had, Nehemiah knows that the task is not complete. There's another part to this journey that he's been on. The people had returned to the city now, and there was a sense of security because the wall was now surrounding them. But now they had to return to the one who'd called them back. They hadn't just physically had to get back there. Their hearts had had to be back. Back in a way where God was their focus, where he was the one who had called them to be a people, to be a light to the world. Now their challenge was to recover that place again and continue to do what God had called them to do. To stand up as a people, to stand out as a people, to look different from the people around them, representing who God is in the world, to find meaning and a place to flourish. So where do you start to regather, to get the people back 
to the heart of God. Where do you start? Well, the great philosopher Maria, she knew where to get the people, where to start from, didn't she? You know the great philosopher Maria, don't you? Yeah? She said we start at the very beginning. Exactly. Exactly. You start at the very beginning. So when you read, you begin with ABC. Well, in this case, for Nehemiah, it was G-E-L-N-D. But we'll get to that in a few moments. But when you sing, of course, you begin with... That wasn't very tuneful, was it? But uh, that's the whole point of this song, is that you, you start to sing the song. It's a great place to start at the very beginning, and that is where they started again. In order to recover the place that they'd come from, in order to recover their place as the people of God, they had to go back to retrace their steps in order to move forward to what God had called them to. So if you've got your Bibles, then uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 is a great place to to turn them to. If you've got your app, flick it on. Nehemiah chapter 8. When the seventh month came, so this is the new year, the seventh month, their, their new year, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood, well, you can read that yourself because I'm not going through those names. He had a few people standing on each side of him, on his left and on his right. You can get those names for yourself. The reading of the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible was where they started again, right back at the very beginning because it's a very good place to start and it wasn't read inside the temple notice the book wasn't brought out in some great ceremony inside the temple this book was released into the open space it was released into a space where every one of the people could hear it there was no exclusion men women and all who could understand so that was going down to children as well it was released again into the body of the people where it should be and where it has the opportunity to change lives. Now the water gate was on the east side of the temple complex. It was named due to its proximity to the Gion Spring, which was the source of water for the city. The gate was very likely used to, to bring water from that spring into the temple when the temple uh, rituals demanded the water offerings to be made as well as part of the Festival of Tabernacles, which they would celebrate as well. So here we have, if you can just picture the scene, the living word, the word of God, the Torah, read at a place of fresh water, which is the pool of Siloam, the place where centuries later, Jesus would send a blind man that he had that Jesus had spat on the mud, he'd formed a little compress, he'd put the mud and the spit onto the man's eyes, and he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. It's that space there. 
And what happened when the blind man went to wash in the pool of Siloam? His eyes were opened and he could see again. And I think there's a beautiful parallel there that I might be reading too much into, but I'm reading back into that spaces that here's the place where the eyes of the people were opened again to the living word of God. A word that they seem to have forgotten. A word that when they were in exile, they probably had neglected or just it had faded out during the generations that they'd been in exile. But now in this place on this day, the word of God is unleashed again and the people's eyes are opened again. They can see the reality of the people that God has called them to be with God as their father, to redirect their attention, to refocus their eyes on what counts. It is the ultimate remedy to the continuing distractions and disappointments and diversions that they've had. Here is a new beginning, and it's come because of God's word. It's like the first foundation stone for this new life that they were about to live, this new opportunity that God had given them to be the people he'd called them to be in the first place. Here was the beginning of the restoration of their hearts by focusing, by discovering God's word. See, God's word brings people together. Did you see in verse 1, all the people came together. I mean, there is so much that can separate us, isn't there? So much that can separate us. I mean, who, who didn't want Sweden to win the Eurovision last night? Come on. Who didn't want them to win? Who wanted Finland to win? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, our, our family in Finland are so disappointed this morning because Sweden beat them. They hate fin- the Finns hate the fact that Sweden beat them. There's so much that can separate us. The football teams separate us, don't they? Politics could separate us. Even among people who follow Jesus, there are differences about what the Bible says about certain issues. I mean, over our lifetime, I guess, we've, we've had discussions, there I say, arguments about divorce. We've, we've, we've had arguments about women in leadership and preachers. We're now in, embroiled in a conversation about human sexuality now in, in the Christian world. And there is danger that we get separated because of it, even though we're reading the same text and trying desperately to see what God wants to, to say to us. I mean, I guess we wouldn't have half the New Testament unless there were disagreements in, in the early church, would, would we? Because a lot of what Paul is writing is to try and deal with disagreements and arguments and trying to help us work through some of the theology and practice over certain issues as well. That's why God's word is vital to bring us to a place of unity. All the people came together and it's then that we get this solid foundation to be the people that are light in the darkness in our world today as well. Rediscovering God's word, because God's word changes lives. Verse 3, all the people listened attentively to God's word. Not enough to, to have it, it's important to listen to it, to really listen to it, with a view to allowing it to change us. That's what listening attentively means. I want this word to change me to reshape me, to mold me into the likeness of Jesus more and more. James said in in the New Testament, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. That's listening attentively. 
Verse 5, all the people stood up. Verse 6, all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen, that they bowed down and worshipped the Lord. Verse 12, all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food to others and to celebrate. Why? Because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. They understood them. There was life in them now. It brought the words into that place where they were willing to put them into practice now. They went, in in verse 12, they went and did what they were invited to do. It didn't just stay in their heads now. It was in their hands and in their feet and in their mouths and in their hearts. It was everywhere in them now. And that's what happens. When we take a book and we remove it from the shelf, this isn't a book for a library. This is a book for life. This is a book that isn't to gather dust. It's a book to be opened and unleashed in order to change our lives and that's what happened to them they responded and in in chapter 8 you'll read there about the feast of tabernacles that they'd forgotten to celebrate in all those years and now it came alive to them again to remember the time when they were in the wilderness and so they went out and they gathered the the uh, the trees that they needed to, to to form temporary shelters they did what they were told to do. You you can read about the Feast of Tabernacles in Leviticus 23. They did as it is written. See, they rediscovered their story. They rediscovered what it was that made them the people of God. They rediscovered how to rebuild their lives once again, having experienced that time in exile as well. Nehemiah 8.18, day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God, They celebrated the festival of tabernacles for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, they had an assembly. See, the more we listen to God's word, the more we'll be shaped into the likeness of that living word. It gets into our hearts. It gets us on our knees. It it moves us to respond to it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's how powerful this word is if we will open it and unleash it in our lives. So if you're not reading the word of God, can I encourage you to start reading it? If you're not listening to it, plug an earphone in and listen to it. It's not going to make a difference to your life unless you do that. I mean, I'm guessing most of us know where our local gym is, don't we? Do you know where your local gym is? I bet you, you might know where it is, but if you don't go, it's not going to do any good to you, is it? If you don't value something, you're not going to visit it, and you'll never benefit from it. So rediscover God's Word, because God's Word brings joy. Chapter 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's joy in reading this Word. It's our strength, it's our defense, it's our fortress, it's our helmet, it's our protection, it's our refuge, it's our safety, it's our stronghold. That's why it's worth rediscovering it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy is very great. Maybe you're feeling a bit downbeat today. And there are many reasons why that might be happening for you today. Very legitimate reasons. Maybe a health issue that you have at the moment. Maybe relationships not quite happening. Maybe finances that are causing a challenge. Maybe things at work. Maybe your kids. Maybe your parents. I don't know. There could be many things that affect your life. But there is something deeper 
There's something deeper that's going on that can enable you to feel the joy of the Lord being a strength in the midst of it all. And that is his word, his powerful word. Their joy is very great. I pray your joy will be very great as you continue to dig in to his word. So rediscover God's word, will you? Get it unleashed. Give it wings. And then chapter 9 in Nehemiah, which I think gives us the second foundation stone for restoring a people. Chapter 9, verse 1. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent who had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of a day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were a number of people whose names you can describe for yourself. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. They started again. <laughs> Rediscover God's word, yes, but here's the second stone to restore a people is to, to rediscover God's goodness as well. Rediscover God's goodness. And how do you do that? Will you remind yourself of the story? Because that's what they did. If you've got chapter 9 open, just take a bit of a look. Verse 6. You alone are the Lord, they say. Let's start. Verse 5. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens. You give life to everything. Verse 7. You are the Lord. Verse 8. You found his heart faithful. You have kept your promise. Verse 9. You saw the suffering. You heard their cry. Verse 10. You sent signs. You knew you, verse 11, you divided the sea. Verse 12, you led them with a pillar of fire. Verse 13, you came down, you gave them. Verse 14, you made known to them, you gave them, you brought them, you told them. Get the picture? This is what you've done, God. Let's remind ourselves what you have done, your goodness towards us. What a story we're part of. What a story that God is unfolding upon us because he is a good God. But sadly, we're not so good. Verse 16. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked. They did not obey your commands. They refused to listen. They cast for themselves an image of a calf. And so it goes on. They took over the country. Their children went in and took possession. They captured 45 cities. They ate to the full. They reveled in. They killed your prophets. It's a catalogue of failure that goes along with the catalogue of God's goodness. Now I'm sure that history wasn't everyone's favourite subject at school. But this history is yours and my history as well. The highs and lows, the successes and failures, the obedience and the disobedience. But the thread running through it is the goodness of God. The thread running through this whole story in chapter 9 is the goodness of God. I wonder if you ever find yourself daydreaming about what if or what next. Or what if my circumstances had been different. 
What if I'd made a different decision five years ago or ten years ago or twenty years ago? What if something else had happened? Maybe today you're checking out job adverts because of being dissatisfied or checking out right move too often. <laughs> Not pointing any fingers at anybody here this morning. I wonder if you're just dissatisfied. And that's the story of the people of Israel, isn't it? They were dissatisfied with their life and so they wanted to take control of it. They became arrogant and stiff-necked. They did not obey the commands. They refused to listen. They failed to remember the miracles. They killed the prophets. They did what was evil in God's sight. They sinned. They turned their backs. They paid no attention. But here's the good news. If you're dissatisfied, if you're not content with what is, but God, his goodness followed them. His goodness chased after them. It caught up with them. It overwhelmed them and brought them back to that place where he was. And this is the third stone. We've got to follow God's faithfulness. We've got to follow on from that place of his goodness in our lives. Chapter 9, verse 32. Now therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully. That's a great foundation stone to put in place to follow God's faithfulness towards us, to rediscover that joy to rediscover his goodness once again at work in our lives. I wonder if you need a sort of but God moment when life is sort of just drifting or taking a poor turn and you need a but God moment. The people have become stiff-necked and arrogant but God continued to be compassionate and faithful to them. The people had killed the prophets, but God in his great compassion never turned his back on them. There's a but God moment for all of us to have at those times when we've drifted away. You're never too far away to experience his goodness and start again to follow his faithfulness. His goodness is running after you today and he's going to catch up with you and he's going to wrap his arms around you and reassure you that you have a place in his kingdom, that you are a member of his family and that you can return and renew that commitment to him today as well. See, I think here, the end of chapter 9 tells us a little bit about what the danger is if we don't respond to him. Verse 36 says, But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. You see, the danger, if we don't turn back and follow, is that other people get the blessing that is ours. Don't miss it. Don't miss the blessing that God wants to give in your life as you turn back to him. Commit to the places we're already in. Receive his vision for the work we're already doing. See his spirit continue to work. And we're formed into the people who witness and trust in his goodness today. 
make a commitment today. Nehemiah 9.38, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. These are the people who are committed to following God in all his ways. Enjoy God's goodness. God has given you a spacious place in which to flourish. So return to him and experience that love once again. Enjoy his goodness and be his people today. Let's pray together this morning. Let's just take a moment, shall we, just to perhaps replay in our own minds some of those moments in our lives when perhaps we have turned our back, but God's faithfulness, his goodness has continued in our lives. Times when we've chosen a different way, but God, but God has reminded us time and again of his goodness. If today you feel that your life is a long way short of where you know God longs for it to be, take time today to turn back to him. Commit yourself to reading his word and giving it life, the life that it's full of for you today. Remember God's goodness and decide to follow his faithfulness today. He reaches out for you today. You're his child and he loves you and he longs for you to experience the fullness of his love today. So receive it. Receive it as he gives it. And like with the people of Israel, in view of all this, make an agreement today and seal it with a promise that you make to follow him faithfully. Father, through your spirit today, burn in our hearts a love for your word. Overwhelm us with your goodness and receive our commitment to follow you today. We give you thanks and praise, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.